0: Thank you for tuning in to CCF Lowell's podcast. Wherever you are, we pray that you would be encouraged by today's message. To learn more about us, please visit www.ccflowell.org. And you can also find us on YouTube and Facebook.
1: Gary is a brother that uh, I've known um, quite a while only on Zoom. I met him one time in his house in Arizona because... The Lord has been touching my heart as as a shepherd, uh, saying to my heart that uh, I'm going to call him what I learned from him. You know, I don't want to call people what the world called them, but there's a lot of broken people out there. And there's a lot of broken people in here. Amen. So we, we are being taught and being imparted that, we need to reach out and love every broken person, no matter what the world call them and, 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 and uh, title them. Uh, so I'm really honored and, and privileged to have this new friend right now. Um, he's a man of God. Uh, I love his humility, I love his compassion, and I love his testimony. So would you help me welcome Gary Ingram to the pulpit today?
2: Well, good morning. It's so good to be with you, and um, you know I'm I'm glad that Robert did the announcements in between because I feel like I would have just gotten up here and just started crying, which would have been very effective. Um, just the worship was so amazing. Thank you, uh, Pastor Francis, and everyone that participated in that and leading us before the throne. It was as was already mentioned, but um, you know in in worship. Uh, Toward the end of the worship, I just, as I had my eyes closed and just focusing on the holiness of God, and and just in, in my heart, just seeing the Lord um, on His throne, uh, holy and lifted up, and um, it, it reminded me, and it brought me to tears because it just it reminded me of of what a of what an incredibly merciful God we have, and it, I'm I'm always struck by how. Um, by how awful and shocking a lot of the attitudes of my heart that I've had toward God over the years, um, the judgments that I've held against him, <clears throat> the accusations of where were you, or why did you let this happen? Um, how can a good God fill in the blank? Uh, I don't know if anybody else, well, let me rephrase that. I'm sure that there are others in the room who have had similar doubts, questions, um, angers, but um, what I was reminded of this morning is what I often uh, come back to, is just how incredible God was that even in in the times of my life when I was so angry and so bitter and even hateful toward him, that he was still reaching for me and he is still reaching for you. I love what the scriptures say that when we were enemies of his. He still died for us. And so um, this morning, you know, I, I want to share a little bit of my story with you. Um, but just like this weekend, my, my heart's desire is not that you just hear a story, but that I, I, I really firmly believe that whenever the, the truth of God goes out, in preaching and teaching, and um, when we share the, some of the depths of our stories with one another, I believe that all of us can benefit from that. It's not just about hearing something outside of ourselves and thinking, "Oh wow, that's so that's so crazy," or "Oh my goodness, what a what a wild story," or um, and, and sort of detach ourselves from that. But what I'm asking this morning is that you listen with one ear to what I'm sharing. And maybe you're going to be thinking of somebody else in your family, someone else as a friend or a coworker. But what I'm also asking you to listen for is, Lord, what do you have for me this morning? The way that we help others best is by preparing our own hearts. The way we help others best is by allowing the Lord to continue to transform us more and more into his image. And what I do know from having pastored for 12 years on a pastoral staff, I wasn't the lead pastor. I oversaw pastoral care, and um, my title was uh, pastor of Soul Care Ministries, and so overseeing our counseling program and recovery programs and support groups and things of that nature, what I do know is that Christians are carrying a lot of baggage, a lot of unhealed areas, a lot of sin patterns, many addictions... And, uh, and what, I, what I know without a doubt is the Lord wants us to be free. Not only to enjoy our own freedom, yes, but even more importantly, to be able to see clearly on how to lead others to freedom, right? And so I'm going to spend uh, some time this morning in First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, in the, in the beginning part of that. But before, if you want to turn there, you can, There'll be on, it'll be on the screen in the... Um, uh, NIV version, but before I, I really f- go there, let me just share a little bit about my own story with you. So I grew up in a Christian home in the upstate New York area, in, uh, in the Binghamton area, but outside of Binghamton in the country. And I'm the youngest of five kids. I was not planned for or wanted by my parents. My next oldest sibling is five years older, and my dad was really torqued when he found out that my mom was pregnant at the age of, she was 42 years old when she had me and he was 44 and they didn't want any more children. So my dad and I didn't have any kind of real relationship when I was growing up. He was a good man and and we went to church all the time. I don't remember a time that we weren't in church, but he just wasn't thrilled about having another kid. And I have three older brothers, one older sister, and I was just very different from the other boys, uh, from his other sons. They were much more naturally rough and tumble. I was less, very much less than that. And I felt this weird sense at a very early age with my dad, particularly, but even with my, my brothers, not because they intended to, but simply because, understandably, they didn't want a little toddler running around with them and their, and their friends. Um, I had this sense of, of just not being wanted, which was true in the beginning, not being planned for, always being in the way, being a bother. And so I, I learned really at an early age, and my mom really came around to loving me quickly and well after I was born. And so I really remained bonded to my mom and my one sister. And then at, at school and at church, school especially, public school, but um, even at church in some ways, I, I, that, that reinforcement that something was wrong with me, I didn't really fit in in the world of, of boys or men, that was just reinforced in many ways over and over again. Gym class was horrible. I don't know if anybody else can relate to that or not. Thank you. I get an amen for that. Uh, gym class was awful, and the, the locker room was uh, horrendous. You know, those experiences. And just being, uh, just walking down the hallways of, of school, it was a constant barrage of verbal attacks and name-calling and uh, getting books knocked out of my hands and all kinds of things. And so I just didn't, I just felt like I, I, I managed to get from one day to the next, to the next, to the next, and in that, in that situation, going to church and hearing lots of truth from the word of God, but not, not experiencing the modeling of love and compassion much, what I began to develop, and I didn't even realize this at the time, it's in hindsight looking back, but what I began to develop is this sense that God is really a slave master who demands we love him. Horrible of... Horrible opinion about God. I didn't. Fo- I didn't just form that out of nothing. I formed that out of being in a church that really emphasized a lot of don'ts, a few do's, but very little love and compassion. And and I, and my home was very similar to that because of the way that my dad led our home. Now my dad and I became very very close later in life. I, I my dad went home to be with the Lord in 2010 and my mom at, uh, in 2015, she was 91 and he was 88. I am so grateful for my parents. I genuinely love them. They lived with me for many years uh, before their, uh, they went home to be with the Lord. And, but those years of a child and, and teen years and early adulthood, there was really very little connection with dad. Actually, there was, there was a lot of disconnection and, and a lot of resentment toward him and toward men in general. And I also, at the age of five or six, I was exposed by some older neighborhood boys to their dad's hardcore porn. They thought it'd be great fun to invite me over uh, to play with them, which which I was never asked to do. But in this case, they invited me over because they knew their mom and dad wouldn't be home, and they wanted to show me this crap. Excuse me, I'm not supposed to say that from the pulpit on a Sunday morning. I apologize. This junk, and um, they wanted to show me this stuff. And and it just at that age, I couldn't even take it in and process. What, what, I mean, I knew what I was seeing, but I didn't fully understand. And so already wrestling with life, I left that place at a five or six-year-old little boy carrying a bunch of extra baggage now and a bunch of extra shame and now sexualized and now introduced to a world that I should have never been introduced to at this age. Let me just say, children are being introduced to stuff way beyond the garbage I was introduced to at the same ages, and it's being done intentionally intentionally not just by foolish boys, but even by adults. And so um, that, what I wound up realizing around puberty or so or moving into puberty is I was more attracted to the, to, toward men than women And I, I thought I was horrified by that. What is that about? And, and so pornography continued to be a thing. There was no internet back then. I'm so grateful for that. I can't even imagine how much, you know, more exponential it would have been, but I managed to still find this stuff here and there, kind of everywhere, even living out in the middle of nowhere. And, and I, again, realized I was more drawn toward men than women. I knew what the Bible taught about that. I'd heard all the grace-filled messages about Sodom and Gomorrah. And, um, I'm kidding when I say that. Uh, and, and so I was horrified. But what do you do when you've never heard a message of hope? When you've never heard that God can free somebody from that way of life? When you've never heard a story, because we're all so ashamed of our stories, we're all so ashamed of the places that God has brought us out of, by the way, God wasn't too ashamed to put the story of Rahab in the Old Testament and put Rahab in the lineage of Jesus. He wasn't too ashamed to talk about the woman at the well. But we're so ashamed to talk about our own stories. And so because I never heard a story in church about anyone whose life was transformed, I thought I've got to keep this all to myself. I know some of you can relate. I, I, I'm sure, never in a room this size. And so... Um, I wound up bouncing around from public school to Christian school to public school to homeschooling uh, and, and then on to Bible college for a period of time. And I, ultimately, I wound up getting kicked out of Bible college uh, because they were concerned I was suicidal. I was 19 years of age when I was kicked out of Bible college. And my attitude was after that is, I'm not happy. I'm not going to dress it up, but I'm also, I'm ashamed that I even had this in my heart. But my attitude was, God, I hate you and I hate your church and I want nothing to do with any of this anymore because there's no answers for me. I've been praying and praying and praying and praying and praying and praying praying to you to take away these desires and nothing has changed. Now, one of the reasons nothing could change is because I was reinforcing these things by my own behavior, but in addition to that, what I believe years later in a prayer time, God really revealed to me, what was so powerfully ministering to me is that the Lord's heart broke for how his church was completely impotent in being there to help me in this mess that I was in. And so at the age of 19, I heard about a gay bar that was um, not very far from where I lived. It was an accidental thing. Somebody made an offhanded comment. I had no idea that anything like this was around there. But once I heard that, it was like throwing gasoline on a little flicker of a flame. And all of a sudden I was just drawn like a moth to, to the flame. Uh, I, I eventually went in, I eventually found out where it was and went in and, um, and at 19 years of age, it felt to me like i had finally found my people. My life finally made sense. I was finally with people that didn't uh, ridicule or reject me, that wanted to be with me for all the wrong reasons. But th- th- all of that was a very powerful influence in how quickly I just was really sucked into that world and began to identify as a gay man eventually I wound up moving out of that town to another town where there was another bar and I wound up working at this club as a bartender and um and so this was what the Lord this is the mess that I had gotten into even though I grew up in a Christian home and I grew up in a Christian family and I'm so grateful that the grace of God extends even to someone like me it certainly wasn't because of anything I deserved. I deserved just the opposite. I deserved judgment, I deserved death. I deserved, not because, not, I don't think I deserved death just because I was, I was in, uh, in the homosexual arena, but because I was living in rebellion against God and, and choosing all kinds of behaviors, whether that's heterosexual, homosexual, whatever. I didn't, I didn't deserve life and freedom, and yet that is what he brought to me, and that's what he offers to each one of us. And that's what he wants us, as the body of Christ, to offer to others as well. Amen. And so the Lord eventually, um, I finally got to a place where I felt like, several years into this, where I felt like my soul was, something was, I, I wouldn't have identified it at the time as my soul, I just, there were times I'd look at the mirror, and I'm in my prime, in my early 20s, and I'd look in the mirror and I'd think, who are you? what have you become? It, this, this revolving door of you know, what you, you thought you were gonna find Mr. Right and settle down for the rest of your life in sort of white picket fences or whatever. And it's been this revolving door of one night stands and anonymous encounters. And you're thinking it's gonna be a long-term relationship and it winds up being a week or, and, and just these. And, and then in my pain, I, was, I would jump from one person to another. And it was just a mess. And I had made such a wreck Of my life, I mean, very much like the prodigal son story that Jesus tells us about, and I, um, I eventually, to make it to a little bit more succinct. If you want to hear my story in longer form, it's on our website. But uh, I wound up coming to the Lord, finally, in my uh, 23 years of age, on the on the side of an interstate in New Jersey, you know, of all places. And uh, it was because I bought some new Christian music, and I was mad at god don 't even ask me why I mean other than god 's influence in my life, I wound up picking up um, a couple of uh, cassettes uh, Christian cassettes, and listening to those and and the new music there was something about it that, that i was I was not prepared to kind of put up my defenses against the words and against the music. And and there was a way that as I'm driving, the Lord is beginning to soften my heart uh, that it was so hard toward him. And eventually I wound up in this blubbering mess, pulled over to the side of the road on the interstate, crying my eyes out to God and saying, if you want what's left of me, I've made a wreck of my life. If you want what's left of me, you can have it. And boom, that was the first time I'd ever surrendered. I'd prayed the sinner's prayer prior, but there was no surrender in it. Surrender is a necessary component to giving our lives to Jesus. And, and prior to that point, I really just wanted fire insurance. I didn't want to go to hell, but I also didn't want to surrender my life to Jesus either because of the way that I internally grew to view him in, in my growing up years. So, um, so the, you know, life went on. There's a bunch of other things I could share. I don't have time for it now. Um, Again, you can listen online if you want. But the Lord eventually uh, brought me to a place of of, um, really deepening my growth and faith in him after some some big ups and downs and brought me to a church in upstate New York where I was living in Chicago at the time It brought me to this church where I really began to experience discipleship in my early 30s. I I began to experience... Uh, a community of men who really re me in some very significant kind of ways, not even knowing what they were doing, uh, it, having no clue how God was going to use them, and yet he did. And so I just want to say, parenthetically, I just want to say here for a moment, you don't have to have a PhD in human sexuality to make a big impact in the lives of people around you, right? And you don't have to seek out somebody. Uh, there, there are trauma events and situations where I think we do need some, some good professional Christian counseling. I think that could be very helpful, but we can't reduce all of our um, quote unquote fellowship to a counseling office or even to a pastor's office. Those things are important, but that we also need to work it out in our own community. Uh, If you were here this weekend, you heard me talk a lot about bands of brothers and bands of sisters. If we don't have uh, a few guys in our life as a son of God uh, who are also sons of God if we don't have as, as daughters of God some other women who are following Jesus in our lives and that we're, we're living in a confessional vulnerable open way in those relationships we're not living a biblical life we're called in James 5 16 to confess our sins to one another and pray for each other that we might be healed when is the last time you've done that? had a thorough confession of sins with anyone. And, but James says that that brings healing to us. So um, it was in this church that I really began to be discipled and grow. Uh, There were some other ministries I was involved in outside of that. I met my wife at one of those ministry events. Uh, We've been married for 16 years. Uh, We have two boys, uh, 12 and 14 years of age. And two of the things I thought I never ever wanted in my life, I was exclusively, at one point in my life, same-sex attracted. I never thought I wanted to be um, with a woman. Never thought I wanted to be married. I mean, maybe want to, but never thought I could. And, and I never wanted to be a father because I was sure I'd be a horrible father. These are two of the greatest joys of my life. And unfortunately, we live in a world that would say change is not possible. Change is not possible, and even attempting change is harmful. But unfortunately, even more unfortunately than that, we live in a church culture where churches are now saying and affirming gay unions and gay relationships rather than saying, you know what? The Lord has something better for you. God has something so good and so rich. And this identity that feels like it's so hardwired is actually not your human identity. Your human identity is based in the fact that you've been made male and female, male or female in the image of God. Everybody. And then in Jesus... Our identity is in Jesus, but that identity loops back to that original formation in Genesis of being made male and female in the image of God. And what does it mean to live into that? What does it mean to be a man made in God's image? We would do well in the church and as, as Christian men and Christian women to really press in in prayer personally and in this band of brothers, band of sisters, and corporately to be asking that question, what does it mean to be this and how can I live this out more fully? So, Having said, I'll share a little bit of my own story with you, let's go to, um, to our passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And you should uh, uh, be seeing that on screen pretty quickly here. I'm going to read uh, through this pretty quickly. I'm going to stop at verse 8, at the end of verse 8. And I want to share something else with you there, and um, I'll comment throughout. But in, in 1 Thessalonians verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, it says this. Paul writes, finally, brothers and sisters, um, I would say too, but finally, brothers, we, uh, we instructed you how to live in order to please God as in fact you are living. So Paul is affirming what you've been instructed to do, you're actually also doing. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. The New American Standard Version says to excel still more. So Paul is, is commending them here. It's one of the greatest commendations of a church in all of scripture. And as we go forward, you're gonna, you know, we'll be reading a little bit more about what he was uh, commending them for, but he's telling them, you're already doing the things that you've been told to do, but I'm telling you, I'm begging you, I'm pleading with you to excel still more. So one of the things that I, you know, I've experienced here in this particular church is the hospitality that you've had toward me and the hospitality that I've seen that you have toward one another. And I don't always see that in every church. There are some churches where there's more of a heart connection. And this is certainly, for me, one of them, certainly uh, with your leadership, but, but also with you know, many in the congregation. And I see in many a real longing, and, a, and a, not just a longing, but in acting out of of love and the things that that God calls us to. And so what I wanna just say by way of somebody who's an outsider coming in and so quickly experiencing that is that's amazing and it's wonderful, but I wanna encourage you, excel still more, even more than what you already are. And so in verse uh, three or two rather, uh, Paul goes on and says, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. And and verse three, he goes on, it is God's will that you, have you ever wondered what God's will is for you? Well, here's a general statement about God's will for us. Yes, there's other things that God specifically desires for us individually, but God's corporate will for his sons and his daughters is this, that you should avoid, or that you should be sanctified. And then he goes on and says, that is that you should avoid sexual immorality of all kinds, of all forms. And and one of the reasons that God desires this for us is we know in one of Paul's other writings in 1 Corinthians 6, 18, where Paul says, flee, run away from sexual sin. Every other sin that a man or woman commits is outside the body, Paul says, but the one who sins sexually sins against their own body. There's a particular kind of damage, I believe it's at the soul, that is done through sexual sin that no other sin has the same kind of impact. And so Paul, as a good father, is warning us. Now, back in the day, I would have read those words and felt like, oh, this prudish, you know, um, killjoy. No, Paul is actually warning us of things that will cause us great damage and, and guiding us in, in a good and godly and, and, uh, and wholesome way toward thriving. Again, it is, God, it is God's will that you, should, uh, that you should be sanctified, and that is that you should avoid sexual immorality that each of you should learn how, could, how to control um, his own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Let me just ask you, without a show of hands, I don't think there's much risk of that, but let me just ask you, how are you doing at controlling your body, at controlling the vessel that you live within? By the way, your body is not incidental. Your body has profound meaning, and one day, your body has so much profound meaning that one day when you die, your body is going to be resurrected again, right, as a glorified body. Why is that? Because your body has profound meaning. It isn't incidental. We don't get to do anything we want to with our bodies uh, and, and, and say that, well, I'm, I'm fine spiritually because all that counts is the person that's within. Our bodies have meaning. How are you doing at stewarding your body with regard to pornography, with regard to sexual sin, with regard to using food as, uh, which is one of the areas I struggle with, honestly, is using food as a means of coping with difficulty or stress or, you know, whatever, or, or loneliness, just feeling somehow uh, empty and misunderstanding that, actually, I'm not hungry for food. I'm hungry for meaningful fellowship. I'm hungry for love. And when, and, But in many cases, love is risky. Food isn't and and so but but that only leads to emptiness ultimately and to misery ultimately so whether it's food, whether it's scrolling through social media, whatever the thing is, how are we doing at actually stewarding our bodies? And he says that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not impassionate lust like the heathens who do not know God, and that in this, manner, in this matter, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. Again, it isn't just that we need to be concerned about ourselves. Yes, that's a primary concern. But we also, as we are growing and as we are honoring God in our bodies, we also need to be concerned about our brothers and our sisters. Not by sticking our nose in someone else's business for the sake of being a busybody. We'll read about that later. The scriptures are very clear that God hates gossip. And unfortunately, many churches have been ruined because of gossip. Boy, I'd love to get into that. I don't have time now. So, um, we need, we need to actually be willing to care for what God calls us to in our own life, and our own body, but also care for those uh, who are around us in very meaningful kinds of ways, in, in one another's sexuality. That's why when you have your band of brothers and nothing's off the table, I'm not talking about a typical men's group when, where you all kind of hide behind a subject or a topic or a theme or a book, and, and, and sometimes books can be used and scripture can be used in beautiful ways to draw out deep things, but too often I've seen the opposite that we just talk about all the intellectual stuff and we never get down to the real issues that we're wrestling with in men's groups and even in women's groups. We need to go deeper than that. And I think we need those, those smaller bands of brothers that, uh, where we are choosing to take risks with one another, choosing to, to affirm that we are going to keep confidential what you have entrusted to the group. We're not gonna run back and talk to our wives about it, our girlfriends or our husbands or our boyfriends. We're gonna keep it confidential and we're going to pray for each other for the sake of healing, Uh, He goes on and says, "The Lord will punish men for all such sins, but um, as we have already told you and warned you, for God did not call us to impurity uh, or to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, who gives His Holy Spirit. This is the teaching of Scripture, and if we keep either the the a reaction we can have is, I just I'm not going to do that band of brothers thing, that band of sisters thing." regardless of what James 5.16 tells me, regardless of the fact that 1 John 1, seven says to walk in the light as he is in the light and we'll have fellowship with one another and the blood of his son cleanses us from all sin. I'm going to ignore those things. I'm just gonna keep my, my sin account only between me and God. Well, of course that's primary, but we're called to invite others into our struggles as well. So at this point though, I want to kind of pivot a little bit because I feel like Paul pivots here as well, in, starting in verse 9. I'm not going to go on to verse 9 right now. I'm going to come back and do that. But I want to pivot here. He's talking about, obviously, in the prior chapters, about uh, even though the church was doing so well, why is he talking to a church that's doing so well and being so clear about avoiding sexual immorality? Because we all need to be reminded of that. And also because it's one of the most powerful counterfeits for authentic intimacy, Many of us go to that microwave, that quick fix, rather than going to authentic intimacy with our brothers and sisters in a way that is life-giving and is open and vulnerable. And so Paul is warning that about this, even in the midst of a church that is doing so well. And so I offer that same thing to you today. And of course, the scriptures are saying, this is what God is teaching, not just what we're talking about. But so one of the things that can keep us from entering into that deeper communion and union with each other, is um, one of the things that can get in the middle of all that is that, we, um, uh, that we're struggling with, with a variety of sin, that we're struggling with it, but we're uh, honestly, and, and I said this over the weekend, we're not just struggling, we're failing. Let's be honest, right? Many times we say, oh, I'm struggling with pornography. And what you actually mean is, no, I'm looking at pornography, right? Or I'm, lo- or I'm, or I'm doing or partaking in this thing. And, and so that's one of the things that keeps us in isolation, Who do you think wants you to continue doing that? Who do you think wants you to stay in isolation? Who do you think wants you to be in isolation in a crowd? Satan, yes, absolutely, the enemy of our souls. God wants to call us and draw us out of our darkness into the light, and there are many congregations that are living in shadow, that agree to all the things that scripture teaches up here, but then in moments of pain, emptiness, fill in the blank. They, we, in our triggers, we turn to other things. Well, this is the stuff that Paul is talking about here. And, and, and so this is one of the things that really grips us and keeps us outside of genuine and authentic uh, communion with others. But there's something else that keeps us outside of um, that genuine and authentic community. And it's something else that keeps us outside of being able to be a vital part of the hands and feet of Jesus in the lives of broken people. And that is self-righteousness. It's looking down at others. It's hearing a story like mine and thinking, oh my gosh, what a wreck. What is he even doing up there? (laughs) Talking to us about anything. I'm talking not even so much about my own story, but I'm talking about the amazing grace of a God who would come into the mess of my life and draw me out of that. You know what? If he can do that for me, he certainly can do that for you. So... So I want to though, in in highlighting this idea of self-righteousness, I have a dear friend, her name is Sherry, her story is on our website in a little bit longer form, uh, but I wanna play this video for you right now uh, to give you a sense about what I'm talking about and then I'm gonna come back and kind of wrap things up this morning, if we could play that.
0: I became a Christian when I was 13 and I loved God. But i see looking back i see that i became a part of like a christian bubble and i really did not see myself in need of the cross as a matter of fact i thought i saw myself a little above the cross of christ i had my significance was really in the appearance of being a good christian and i really had no clue that wounding early in my life was feeding many false ways even religious false ways i need to give you a little background um, to this story and that is that when i was 16 years old my mom left our home in an adulterous relationship with the pastor of our church Uh, she was miserable and the lord graciously brought a visiting minister to our home that week uh, that she came home. And um, he stayed up all night and counseled her. And the result of that is that she went before the congregation that she had wronged uh, the next Sunday and she asked their forgiveness. And she was really restored to that community of believers. Uh, And served there for many years Um, I remember being so ashamed when my mom left Um, but the time after that really our relationship was restored and our family kind of returned to a, a kind of normalcy as my dad really invested in us but that embarrassment of the good family gone bad was was the shame that I felt at the time and I remember thinking now we are no better than anyone else and to cover that shame I devoted myself to being a good Christian and age 19 I married with the intent on producing a good family well I could not know that the Lord would allow a few of our children to lose their footing in the years to come. Our marriage hit new lows that I could never have imagined. And um, he would react to me and I would have hurt feelings, but I felt like we're gonna stay with this, we can do this, we can get this under control. Um, My children, where I saw a discrepancy between their behavior and this Christian image, I judged their intentions on the other hand I felt like I was responsible for all the wrongs um, of all of my family members and it was almost as if I thought I could save them the first time I heard uh, one of our pastors describe the Ministry of Living Waters and Cross Current he said it was a ministry to relationally and sexually broken people and doesn't that include about 99.9 percent of us well i had a conscious thought when he said that and it was well i guess i must be part of the 0.1 percent so i am convinced that i could not have come to this area of healing in my life without the other women in my small group my leader asked me is there something on your heart that you'd like to uh share during this time you'd like to pray about and i really said to her you know nothing's coming up i i think i'm okay but i love to be prayed for as i sat down and closed my eyes my leader said to me let's go back to the time when your mom left and it was like this groan started from deep within came up and out of my mouth with a sound to my ears that didn't even sound human. And I had emotion that I had avoided for over 30 years. Um, uh, There was no time put on that as I surrendered my pain to the Lord and to the cross. And after a while, that pain subsided and underneath I saw like the culprit of it all. It was shame shame was a driver to many false ways of coping with life and Jesus came to me in that time and he revealed himself in that time of cleansing as the present one it was like for the first time my feet were on a secure foundation it was the present one Jesus in my life I needed to see the true condition of my heart before I could be whole it's been important that I understand this pathway to the cross to empty of the good false self and learn from experience how to walk in love how to be grace-filled toward those who are stumbling so now it's important that I walk in a company of men and women that I can be real with. And I have to ask myself often, what matters more to me, real wholeness or the appearance of it?
2: Sit with that question for a moment. What matters to you more, real wholeness or the appearance of it? The truth is, as Christians, so many of us have done so much window dressing, have done so much work on image management. We looked at how Jesus over the weekend, how Jesus really got after the Pharisees for cleaning the outside of the cup and looking like whitewashed tombs, beautiful whitewashed tombs, but yet inside there's all kinds of brokenness, death, dirtiness, says, no, clean the inside of the cup first and the outside will become clean. For many of us as Christians, what I've realized in traveling the country, having been a pastor for 12 years, having grown up in the church uh, and, and, and gone off in the weeds a lot, what I've realized is, no, we struggle in these areas and we can swing back and forth between self-righteousness and even addiction or compulsion or failure. And yet we keep the failures all to ourselves, and so therefore we don't find the healing that James five sixteen tells us that we can have. I'm reminded in this moment about uh, my brother. One of my brothers has been a pastor for I don't know forty years or more, and he told me years and years and years ago at one of the churches he was at, there was a guy in the church who would greet him. This is kind of a small country church, but would greet him after the service on the way out the door. And if Dale kind of got had a preached a, a strong. You know, message, kind of hellfire brimstone kind of message. He's like, Pastor, that was a great message. That was really amazing. We need that, you know, the powerful stuff. And if Dale was a little bit more softer or empathetic or, you know, came across a little bit less um, uh, fiery, the, he would say, Yep, Pastor, you got to ratchet that up a notch. We need, you know, you need to do blah, blah, blah. And this guy um, died a number of years later and it was found out that he had um, been hooked on pornography for years and he had been sexually abusing both of his daughters or all three of his daughters. And my point in saying that is just that just because sometimes we hide our junk behind all of this Christianese language and veneer. My sister-in-law had been sexually abused by her pastor father from the time she was 10 until she was 18 we have a woman that lives with us in our home. We love her to death. She's an amazing woman. She's, she's getting her, her counseling degree, uh, her master's degree in counseling from Phoenix Seminary. And her story is on our website, too. Her name is Becky. And her story is public, and so that's why I share it with you. But she was sold by her mother as a little, tiny, sweet little girl to countless numbers of vile men for sexual abuse, for drugs, for money, for whatever, but the thing, and, and my brother in law and my sister, my, rather the other way around, my brother and my sister in law have a ministry that they developed that is focused just on exposing and bringing healing to the topic of sexual abuse in the church and domestic violence. Those two topics. And those two, and again, they, their schedules are full of these issues within the church. So too often in the church, we think, oh, well, that may be happening. You know, your story is so bizarre and that may be happening in some church, but it doesn't happen here. You know what, it does happen in every church. Sexual sin, and not again, not just sexual. The point is, are we going to, I believe that every son of God, every daughter of God who is bound in some way, wants to walk in freedom. The Holy Spirit is not just sitting by idly, letting you enjoy your sin because he knows that that is going to lead to destruction. And so there is an internal battle that goes on in genuine sons and daughters of Jesus, of the Father, sons and daughters of God, those who have been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you're in that place, I am a firm believer because I've experienced it. There is no one on the planet more miserable than a Christian living in sin. And I think you want... For anyone who's wrestling with patterns of sin, you want more than, than where you've been. But are you willing to take the one prescription that God gives us for healing? James 5.16, 1 John 1, 7, Hebrews chapter three, about encouraging one another day after day, as long as it's still called today, so that our hearts are not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. How can we actually encourage one another when we don't really know each other? We know each other like a book that we read about somebody who died decades ago, and we have all kinds of details about that person but we did did we ever know them no it's time that we really learn to be known and in our willingness to go first that we invite others to be known and that we do it with wisdom I don't, people don't have to get up here and start off by sharing their story like I do now, but at one time in my life, even a sentence of what I've told you about my own story of brokenness would have put me in a, if, if, if people knew those things about me, you know, I would have been in a fetal position in a corner, you know, rocking back and forth because I was, I was so insecure. The freedom is not how well the lid is on your brokenness, how tight it is and no one knows. That's a miserable place to be. Freedom is when you don't care who knows because you know that you've been forgiven, you've been set free, and this is his story. So Paul goes on in verse 9, uh, in Thessalonians chapter four, and I'm going to wrap up with this. Now about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you. Such a great commendation. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, here this is again, we urge you brothers to do so, just as he started off the the, the earlier part of this chapter, we urge you, Uh, to do so more and more again, or to excel more and more? Do you want to excel more and more at loving others? Are you willing yourself to be loved? You cannot experience love any deeper than the degree to which you're willing to be known. And, and, And we're all happy to be known about all the good stuff, all the trophies, are you willing to be known in your brokenness and in your ugliness? Because that's the depth of what Jesus wants you to be known so that you can experience what it is to be genuinely loved. And, and I believe that when, when a church gets a hold of this understanding, that they're, they're willing to, to be vulnerable. They're willing for the Lord to crack them open and to share their lives with others for the sake of their deeper healing and for the sake of modeling this for others. What winds up happening in, in, in that church community is people start seeing of that church, what Jesus said, that they will know you're my disciples by the love you have for each other. Most churches are not showing the love that that Jesus desires on a Sunday morning. It's impossible. I mean, we can love each other, but if we're not actually known outside of here and we're just coming together and doing, you know, and, and, and really not knowing one another, how deep can that possibly go? Freedom comes from being known and, have, and, and having that band of brothers, that band of sisters. If you're struggling, if you're wrestling, if, you're, if you've gotten to a place where you're just like, I guess this is as good as it gets. I'm sort of, this has been with me for however many years, however many decades. The truth is you are never too old in Christ or as a person, you are never too old to experience deeper freedom. But you've got to be willing to take, I have got to be willing to take the prescription that God gives us, which is not only our relationship with him, which is primary, but also our relationship with others. There's a symbiotic relationship between us and God and community. And most of the time what I've realized is we are are dying on the vine in many respects in the church because we won't let others in. And we don't have, we're not walking with others in open and intimate and vulnerable ways. Paul goes on and says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business. Again, I would love to unpack gossip more. What I, what I will say is that Proverbs chapter six, there's a verse that says uh, that God hates, that it's an abomination for, those, uh, for people to spread strife amongst the brethren. Those are the words used hate an abomination to him. There's no greater way of spreading strife amongst the brethren than running your mouth about stuff that's not your business. Now, there's a lot of things that are our business when we actually love and care and, and we can be a part of the solution and we can lean in, and we but we maintain that person's confidence. We earn their trust. We become the person that we want others to be for us. But I just want to encourage you I know from, from my time here this weekend and uh, just conversations that we've had that leadership here, I, I, I believe the leadership here would love for you to come and even say, listen, I, I heard what this guy talked about over the weekend if I was here or I've just been here on Sunday. He said some things, I, like I resonate with what he's talking about. There's something about the spirit that resonates, but the Holy Spirit resonates with truth. I think there are some people that are really resonating with what I'm sharing and recognizing, oh my goodness, this is probably why, I've been blocked. This is probably why I keep going. I keep. I'm on this this rat wheel of of sin, repent, sin, repent, sin, repent, sin, repent, because nobody else really knows what's going on in my life, and I haven't experienced the healing that Jesus wants to do, the outpouring of grace that He wants to to pour into me through the conduit of community. If that's you come and talk to the pastors, talk to leaders here to let them know that I want that kind of band of sisters, that kind of band of brothers. I don't even know where to begin with that, but I'm willing to, uh, I'm scared to death maybe. I mean, I think any of us are scared to death, uh, to actually open up and, and risk vul- that kind of vulnerability, to risk rejection, but it's absolutely what we need. And I can tell you from my own personal life and the lives of hundreds and thousands of others that, that, that I've you know connected with and my wife and I have connected with over the years in these topics, this is what can transform life. It's all about the power of Jesus Christ but it's, it's Jesus Christ working directly through us, into us, but also through community. We cannot leave out that community aspect. So um, is it okay if I pray? for? Okay. Um, would you just stand with me? I don't, I don't know what the typical uh, way of closing is here. Uh, whoever needs to come up after me and clean up after me, feel free to do that uh, or pass on other announcements or what have you. But Jesus, I just want to, to take a moment. God, I thank you I thank you that your desire, that you do justice, but you love mercy. I thank you, God, that you are a God of justice. You don't wink at sin. You don't make excuses for sin, but you call us out of our sin, out of our brokenness, out of our isolation, out of our agreement, even our our unrecognized agreement with the enemy of our soul in the way that we talk to ourselves in the way that we hate ourselves in the way that we, uh, we stand against ourselves even there, Lord, you were calling us into a new place. You're calling us into a new way of living. So Jesus, when you actually talked about the abundant life, that you came to give life and to give it more abundantly, some of us have read those, that passage and thought, what am I missing? I, I, what, what is it? Because I don't feel like life is very abundant. Lord, I pray that all the promises that you have for us, that all the desires you have for us as a good father, The fact that even as a a human father, you gave the example that when your children come to you, you don't give them a stone when they ask for bread. You don't give them a snake. And if you being evil know how to give good gifts, how much more so does your heavenly father love to give good gifts to you? Lord, I pray for every daughter of yours, every son of yours in this room, regardless of age, every young person in this building, Lord, that we that we would, this morning would be like finding the treasure that was buried in the field and we run back and sell everything that we have so that we can come and buy the the field and have the field and the treasure most importantly. Lord, I pray that those who have been so scared, understandably, and they have trust issues and all of those that, yes, but Lord, I pray that none of that ultimately will matter in holding them back from obeying the scriptures and learning how to lean in and develop those safe places where they can confess sin, be prayed for, confess sins done against them even, confess wounds and be prayed for and find healing so that we can be more about the eternal kingdom business that you've called us to and that we can belong more fully in a body where we know that we're loved, not just because people know our good stuff, but even when they know the junk, they love us anyway. They don't love our sin, but they love us. God, help us to to push past by your courage and by your grace. God, we are choosing to push past our fear and our pride and our shame to say yes to you and to put feet to that yes this morning. As quickly as possible, we wanna obey you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
0: Thanks again for tuning in. We pray the Lord has used this message to speak to you today. If you'd like to stay connected, please subscribe to our weekly podcasts. We pray God's blessing over you wherever you are and wherever you go.